Welcome to Harvest with Greg Laurie. This TV show is all about helping you get to know God better because God loves you and God has a plan for you and God wants to transform your life and he's told us everything you need to know about him and life in general in this book, the Bible, the user's manual of life. So we're going to be talking about what the Bible says and what God wants to do in your life. Again, welcome and God bless you. Israel. You know, it really is a beautiful country. I mean, think about it. There's such rich history here. Literally, Jesus Christ walked in this very place. Just imagine for a moment what it would have been like. You hear people in the streets, they're mingling, and the merchants and traders are preparing their wares, opening their stores for business. The hustle and bustle of the morning, the birds are chirping as the city wakes up and the walls come to life. You hear prayers and songs offered up all around the city. Then all of a sudden you hear voices, strong voices that you may have heard outside of the gates, men whom I call heroes of faith as they move together through the streets. Imagine the conversations between the apostles John and Paul and the others and and suddenly there's a hush among the crowd as Jesus himself approaches. Yes, he was God in human form, but let's not forget, he was a man, the son of a carpenter who walked where others walked, who talked to children playing games, who broke bread with his disciples, who purchased herbs and spices from the merchants. This city, rich in history, rich in food and culture, the city of Jerusalem was the place where Jesus walked. Israel is bordered by Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. And the country of Israel spans a total area of 20,770 square kilometers. That's basically the size of New Jersey. Yet Israel is considered to be the epicenter of the world. The city of Jerusalem, located on a plateau in the Judean mountains between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea, is considered to be the epicenter of Israel. Hey, think about this. The children of Israel wandered around in this very desert for 40 years. Hey, why was that? Is it because men were in charge and they just didn't want to stop and ask for directions? Or was it because they were wandering around and around in circles? Yeah, I think it was the latter. Abraham fought a war here. David hid from King Saul in the caves right around here. And of course, the story of Masada took place, and King Herod actually built that as his getaway palace. Hey, I'm all about history and tradition, and I can walk, and I've ridden camels, and I've ridden donkeys. But today I'm visiting the Dead Sea, and I plan to put a lot more horsepower into this journey. On this day trek, my friend Ido Kanan, a seventh-generation Israeli and my beautiful wife Kathy are all buckled in our Jeep. The terrain's pretty rough and rocky, and we're up for adventure as we set off in this four wheel excursion. 
That's a guy you know where you're headed, and he knows something about where you're going. And in this case, he just overflows with a wealth of knowledge and a sense of direction. Mesmerized by his stories, his insight, and accounts from Scripture, our two-hour journey came to life with some vivid depictions. So when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, is this what he what it would have looked like to him? Pastor Greg, it's exactly how it looked out to him. Look around you, the same formations that you see of those mountains and of those hills, of those narrow passes. That's what our Lord saw every morning and every evening here in the desert. As you can see, there's no electricity. There's nothing that is of the 20, 21st century. Everything you see over here is natural, going back all the way, thousands and thousands of years ago. This is the wilderness. This is, there's nothing here miles and miles away. And this is where it was chosen to take our Lord for 40 days and 40 nights away from any civilization, to tempt him in any way possible. That's where he was in this area, because this is the Judea wilderness. Well, there we go. Hallelujah. This is crazy. It was in 1947 that a young Bedouin shepherd discovered in these Qumran caves some well-preserved written remains, and then later, in 1949, archaeologists excavated which were later to be referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, Pastor, the Dead Sea Scrolls, do you believe in luck? No. Good. Do you believe that things happen just as they happen? No. So why do you think the Dead Sea Scrolls were found? to confirm what is taught already in Scripture. Amen. And you're so right. At a certain point, God uh, decided, okay, I'm going to bring my people back to the land. I've got to prove to the world that they have the right to a true deed. And what is the deed? The Bible. So let me find them. Let's make them find the oldest one, and that's 2,000 years old, that if anyone comes to say, hey, come on, what you have today is not what they had 2,000 years ago, you can prove it. That's amazing. And that's the way I'll put it together. Yeah. Look straight ahead. Moab. That's what they see. Wow. Israel is relatively small in size, but oh, it's so mighty. And I really agree with what Ido said. God wanted the Dead Sea Scrolls to be discovered so the world would know of the Jewish people's right and inheritance to the land of Israel. Of course, that is found in Scripture, and the Dead Sea Scrolls just confirm what we have known all along. This land belongs to the Jewish people, and Jerusalem is their capital. You know, I find this interesting. Today, Israel is no longer dusty little roads leading in and out of small villages and towns. Now there are thriving cities. Filled with culture and art and outstanding schools and major universities, the world's 55th largest export economy, leading the world in military advancement, cutting-edge tech, and the world of medical science, Jerusalem is a modern city complete with commerce, retail, finance, and it's one of the world's leading destinations for tourism. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, 
titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. In this neighborhood of Jerusalem, there are many bazaars and open markets, and I'm meeting with my good friend Joel Rosenberg, best-selling author and speaker, for a cup of really good espresso. I wanted a bit more insight on the people of the Holy Land, the significance of what's happening today in Israel as it relates to Bible prophecy, and why Jews from all around the world are uprooting their families, selling their homes, and quitting their jobs, and moving back to the land of their ancestors, the land of their bloodline, the land of Jesus. What's it like to live in Israel now? You guys, you were born where? I was born in the United States, uh, in upstate New York, Syracuse. And I grew up in the States. My father was Orthodox Jewish, came to faith in Jesus as Messiah in 1973, thought he was the first Jew since the Apostle Paul who believed this. Because there were so few. Well, he never heard of a Jewish person who believed that, never met one. And in 1973, there weren't that many. But the Spirit of God was moving, uh, not just among Jewish people, but the whole Jesus movement. You got saved that time. Uh, My parents... I later, you know, a couple years later, 75. When Israel became a nation on May 14th, 1948, there were how many Messianic maybe believers? Maybe two here? dozen. Uh, Twenty-three that I know of. Yeah, and today maybe there, there twelve more. Today, know, maybe approximately how many? Fifteen thousand. See, that doesn't sound like a big number, but comparatively, and considering it's Israel, it is a big number. Well, right, and if you look, you go from twenty-three people. 68 years ago, right. 23 to 15,000. Is it harder for someone who is Jewish to believe in Jesus as Messiah uh, than it is for someone, a Gentile, a non-Jew? Is it a harder process? Well, it's a miracle in any case, but God does say in the scriptures that we have a partial hardening yeah. of us, that we have a, a blindness, um, because God brought the, the, you know, sent Yeshua, yeah. Messiah, to us first. Right. Uh, to, he, you know, he came to his own, John then, chapter 1. His own received, his own him, received not. him not. Yeah. We, we didn't get it. Uh, most of us didn't. I mean, obviously a few did. Uh, but then to put to him who, you know, who gets it, you know, yeah. right? Uh, who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Right. So the gospel went from Israel to the Gentile world. Right. Many Jews did come to faith in that time, but not the majority, right. not even close to the majority. Oh, thank you. Oh, hey, now we're oh, talking. Thank you. Tadalaba. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Welcome to Jerusalem. It's fun to have this conversation here. Now you've, thank you. And you've called Jerusalem the epicenter. I have. Why The epicenter of what and why yeah. that word? Well, epicenter is a geological term, obviously. Yeah. It's the point above the beginning of an earthquake. Right? right. So I'm using that term because this is the center of yeah. God's plan and purpose for the nations. Right. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5, God says, I set Jerusalem at the center of the nations. That's true. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse right. 7, I put Israel, or verse 14, I put uh, Israel at the, at the navel of the earth, I mean, literally the belly button of the earth. Yeah. So, wow. and, and then Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
the, the gospel will go from Jerusalem to yes. Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. True. So you and I are from the ends of the earth, right? You're from, right. you're really from the end of the earth. You're from yeah. uh, California. I'm from yeah. New York. But this is the beginning. The gospel went from here. Yeah. And now it needs to come back here. Yes. And this is, you know, when you look at the little prophecies, there are, there are more prophecies about the future of Israel and the sure. Jewish people than of any other nation in the And scriptures. you think about the, the critical role that Jerusalem plays. I mean, of all the cities in the world, you know, Paris and, and Moscow and, you know, Washington, D.C., and yet the Bible speaks of this tiny little sliver of land called Israel and in the tiny little sliver of land this little city called Jerusalem and here we are in the very middle of the epicenter, the tip of the spear if you like, you know, and it's all happening right here. This has been uh, a city that God has chosen for himself. Yeah. That's what he says, I chose Jerusalem. That's a That's sovereign right. act. He could have chose Tokyo, he could have chose uh, you know, Costa Mesa, he could have chose wherever, but he, but he chose Jerusalem. God says... To be the city of the great king. That's right. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. You know, it's like God said, I'll never forget you. So God remembers the city. That's the city of the past. But now the city of the present. Bustling city. We have kind of the old city that people will often go to. Uh, the Arab quarters there. Right, right. And then that around that area is the Western Wall, which... Right. The lower part of the original stones from Herod's era or yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, Herod's era. Yeah. And then on up above, you see the crusader and the various groups that have built on this wall. Jewish people, not only Jewish people, but primarily. They're at the wall taking little slips of paper with prayers. Why is that a holy site to them? It's re- what, what we see as the Western Wall is a portion of the retaining wall right. uh, that was built... That the temple was above it. There are no stones left from the temple. Yeah. Jesus himself said there would be no stones sure. left. There would be Not all one overthrown. One stone left upon another. Because out of judgment. What is the future of Jerusalem in the Bible? What's going to happen here in the future? Well, there's several things. First of all, uh, we know that the anti. Uh, we know that a, a third temple will be built. That's okay? right. We know that the temple will be built. There will be sacrifices. I'm going to so eat baklava. Please, my friend. Are you going to eat yours? Uh, I might. We'll see. So a temple will be built. And then we know that an antichrist, the antichrist, but, but, but an anti-Messiah figure from the European Roman rebuilt empire will come and right. take over and he will invade the beautiful land, right. Daniel tells us, and he will desecrate the temple. Right. Jesus tells us. He'll Daniel seem like that. a good guy at first. He though, will won't seem he? like a, a peacemaker. He will seem like a diplomat. Uh, like finally, somebody has come to make yeah. it right. And rebuilding the temple for the Jews. The temple will probably have already been built. Um, it's possible that he's involved in that, but it's possible that it's already rebuilt. Prophet scholars differ on that. We know he desecrates it. We know he will desecrate it. He will, in fact, probably set up his his throne inside the yeah. temple because he proclaims himself to be God. Yeah. We know that Daniel tells us this, and 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 and, and Paul tells us this to the Thessalonians. So. When Christ, the real true Christ, the second coming happens and Christ will physically touch down on the Mount of Olives uh, overlooking the Temple Mount, he will split that mountain in two. That's right. And then he will defeat all the forces of the Antichrist, including the Antichrist himself. Yes. And he is not going to inhabit that desecrated third temple. Yeah. He will destroy it, he will raise it to the ground, and then build what we call Ezekiel's Temple. Yeah. Which described as the last few chapters of the book of Ezekiel, a magnificent monumental structure never been built before. That's the one that Christ will reign from for a thousand years. You know, it's interesting, Jesus in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, the Mount of Olives facing the old city of Jerusalem. You know, you have 
that statement, he says, and when you see the abomination of desolation, let the reader understand. That to me is a clue as to why Bible prophecy matters. Here we're looking at eschatology, the study of times events in the Bible. Jesus is saying, let the reader understand. Why would he say that if we shouldn't study Bible right. prophecy? Because some people, and we've talked about this before, sort of a trend maybe in the church, to not look at these end times events like maybe we did in earlier generations. And so, but there's a great blessing promise to the person, for instance, who reads and studies and keeps the words of the book of Revelation, right? right? So Bible prophecy is important, isn't it? It's very important. 27%, 27% of all scripture is prophecy. Now, a bunch of that, at least half of it, has already come true. Yeah. This is one of the validators that Scripture is divine, that it really is from the words of an all-seeing, all-knowing right. God, all-powerful God, because He can tell us the future. Yeah. And He gave us a certain set of prophecies that came true, including the Messianic prophecies. Yeah, that's right. And then the next set of prophecies are about things that will come true, right. and that's exciting. Who would ever thought that these people, the Jewish people, who have suffered so greatly, would not only return to their land, but build this nation, survive the attacks and the War of Independence, the 67 War, the 73 War, and now here they stand, you know, able to defend themselves. I mean, it is a modern-day miracle. There's it is. no logical it, explanation. It, it is. And, I, and, I, and so I think for many uh, of your viewers who are thinking, well, come on, Bible prophecy, end times prophecy. Yeah. I mean, isn't that, isn't that a little out there, like, yeah. you don't really believe that. Listen, the fact that Israel exists, that you hear about it in the news right. all the time, this is evidence that end times Bible prophecy is true. Right. Now, there are people who teach it badly. There are people who sensationalize right. it, who are, who are weird. They're You're free, talking they're about weird. people with websites, everything's in caps, and, yeah. and it's usually reversed out of black or a dark background, so you can barely read it. The, the websites it, look like they were built at Area 51 in Roswell, <laughs> New Mexico, or whatever. Look, there are not, I think those people were weird to start with, and they just found something to be weird about there's nothing weird about Bible prophecy. These are extreme people, but it, you, sometimes people see that and want to sort of throw the baby out That's with the right. bathwater. That's right. And so a lot of the we church, a lot of pastors have, have said, like, I don't want to be identified with the prophecy nut, so let's just not go there. We're not yeah. going to teach this stuff. But 27% of the scripture, that's a big right. chunk of change, right? You, you ignore that at your peril. Right. There's something serious that God wants us to know about the future. That's right. And not just about Israel's future, not just about Jerusalem's future, or the future of Israel's neighbors or her enemies, whom God right. also loves. It's about our future. That's right. If the God of the Bible said Israel would be reborn, and yeah. everybody said it wouldn't, but it is, what else did that God know That's right. that we ought to listen to, like how to have a personal relationship with him, right? It is right. prophecy to say, if you don't believe in him and you don't accept his uh, forgiveness through Christ, yeah. you will spend an eternity separated right. from him in hell. That's a prophecy, but it's a very practical one. You either choose to follow or you reject him, but right. that tells us what our future will be. Okay, so the Bible says for those that look for him, he'll return. Christ is going to return, but he's going to return for those who are looking for him. That doesn't mean we stand on street corners, you know, staring at the sun like a bunch of idiots. It means that we live in anticipation of his return. But I think sometimes people misunderstand how they're to live in light of the imminent return of Jesus. We talk about all these prophecies being fulfilled. So someone is watching this, they're thinking this, so what? Right. Like, so, not so what, it doesn't matter, but so what am I supposed to do? So, okay, we believe this, Jesus is coming. How, what should a person do who's a believer in Jesus? What should their focus be, their priority be, right. knowing that he could come at any moment? 
Well, I think the fact that we're seeing prophecies come true in our lifetime, uh, that many of our, even of our church fathers were skeptical yeah. at best that they would, that's encouraging. Yeah. The fact that Israel exists now, not because we're a perfect nation, not because everything here is going right, but right. because God sovereignly decided this will be a nation, right. because I said it would be, right. and these prophecies are fulfilled, this should give us encouragement. Yeah. God, who is sovereign, God who wrote the scriptures, he's moving. Yes. And we are definitely in the last days because Israel exists. That's right. Okay, now the question is, so what? So the question, yeah. so to me, the answer is, when I think about looking for the return of Christ, what yeah. I mean, what I think that means is, we look as though, we live as though we're going to see in his eyes the face of Jesus soon, and the question will be, how did we use our time? Yeah. How did we invest yes. the time that we have, knowing that his return was getting close, but not knowing exactly when. And to me, the answer is the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? The Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. By the way, I know. So you I don't know, think, I appreciate it. So you don't think I'm like <laughs> the worst evangelist? You're an evangelist, you don't know the Great Commission? Go ahead. 101. <laughs> so define right. it for All us. authority has been given to Jesus. Yeah. All authority in heaven and earth. And therefore, he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, right. right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, uh, the disciples to obey everything he yeah. commanded, not just bits and pieces, but the whole right. council of scripture, and, and that he would be with us, even right. to the end of the age. That's right. This means we need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus yeah. Christ to every Jew, every Muslim, every communist, every atheist, every, you know, everybody in the entire world. Yeah, we're not favoring here. Israel saying, oh, you know, it's only to the Jews. We love the Jewish people. God wants us to. We love Arab people. We love all people. Everybody needs the gospel. The, the answer is the same for everybody. Absolutely, but unfortunately, the for a long time, the church has ignored, yeah, it's true. largely, ignored preaching the gospel to Jewish people or ignored preaching to the Muslim people. It's not just that we're failing to bring the gospel to Jews and Muslims. We're not bringing the gospel in the church to anyone. The church is so behind in evangelism right now. And you know, here's something I've said before. Is I, I've said that I actually think to not share the gospel can potentially be a sin. Here's why. Yeah. There are sins of commission and omission. Right. A sin of commission is doing what you should not do. A sin of omission is not doing what you should do. Right. And James says, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So if I'm walking down the street and there's a house on fire, someone tells me there's people inside, maybe I'll be a hero and rush in and try to save them. At the very least, I'll call 911. But if I walk by with, thank you, but if I walk by with complete indifference, that's criminal. And yeah. here we know the gospel. We're commanded to share it. Why do you think Christians are not doing this? It's a lack of love for our Savior. Yeah. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Yeah. And the more we understand who he is and yeah. what he's really done for us yes. and the consequences of what would have happened if he didn't do it for us That's right. and didn't open our particular eyes to understanding it. Right. And the fires of hell, using the fire analogy... This, this ought to compel us, yeah. compel us. Thank you for taking the time to have a cup of coffee. Well, absolutely. You didn't eat any of your well, baklava. I know. I've Take had, a bite of your baklava. I think I'm going to. You don't want it. Well, I've had a few too many baklava since I got to Israel. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you. You know, the Jewish people have an expression they use when they celebrate Passover. And the expression is, next year in Jerusalem. That's their hope to meet again in the Holy Land and in this very special city that God gave to them. It's been our privilege to walk the streets of Jerusalem, to breathe the air, to think back on what happened when Jesus walked here. You know, Jerusalem is a city of our past, our present, and our future. 
It's a city of our past because, well, so many biblical events happened here. It's a city where Jesus was crucified outside of its walls. And it's a city where Christ rose again from the dead. But it's also the city of our present. Jerusalem is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. On May 14, 1948, against all odds, the Jewish people returned to their land and ultimately got control of Jerusalem as well. And now it is a modern city that's impacting the world. But it's also the city of our future because the Bible tells us that prophecy will be fulfilled in this very place. And end time events will happen around this city, not Paris, not Rome, not Los Angeles, not Washington, D.C. or Moscow. No, the major events of the world, the end times are going to happen right around the city of Jerusalem the city of our past, our present, and our future. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks. And he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I I think so. I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you at no charge something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. 
It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today.